Thank you, Brandon. Please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verse 25 this morning, but read verses 17 through 25 to help us understand the context in which all of this occurs. I hope that you're excited about next Sunday, our first Easter Sunday, our first Resurrection Sunday as a church. We don't know what a Resurrection Sunday at Five Points looks like, but uh, there is a possibility we'll have more people than normal here, and so just encourage you to think of ways to minister to our guests or people who may be here for the first time. Remember to kind of scoot in next week so that guests can have those that prime real estate on the, on the edges. Uh, maybe also be sure to, to park in some areas that maybe you wouldn't normally park. Uh, those of us who are, are leaders need to probably park in the, the uh, area across the street, in the high school, and, and uh, just everyone just be very careful to, to make sure that people feel welcome as they come. There may be people with us who, who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and we have the opportunity to present Christ to them in a, a special way next week, and it's a a great time for us as a church to worship the Lord, to glorify God in our hearts, and to make him known to others as well. And so I look forward to the, the possibilities of next week with you. Well, please stand with me as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. Again, we're looking at verse 25, but I want us to understand the context. Here's, uh, let's begin verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes, <clears throat> Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to, every, to sensuality, to greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then this week, we're looking at this verse here, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we're excited about your word. We're excited about its effect in our lives. We pray that your spirit would be upon us this morning. We pray that you would work within us to be holy, that we would put off the old man and, and put on the new, that we would learn what it looks like to, to be sanctified and enjoy that, that path, that painful path sometimes of becoming conformed to your likeness. Renew us in our minds this morning. Help us to continue to worship you in our spirit and in truth. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor told me that there are three kinds of lies. There are white lies, there are bold-faced lies, and there are sermon illustrations. I think there's a constant uh, pull on a pastor to make sure that as he speaks God's word, he's truthful in, in every way possible. I, was, I think I've told you before, those of you who are in our Sunday school class, before we launched the church, I, I told you about a conversation I had with a professor at seminary. 
this professor was talking to us about authenticity in preaching, and he maintained that it was possible to be authentic in preaching and yet fake emotions sometimes. He said it was okay to sometimes, you know, write in the margins of your note and, you know, get really excited here. Or, or he said, he even went so far as to say it was possible to be authentic in your preaching and uh, fake cry, fake tears. And uh, being the shy, bashful person that I am, I took exception to that very strongly. His contention was this. He said, sometimes as you're preaching a text, the text demands an emotional response. To be faithful to that text, you need to have it affect you emotionally. Therefore, he said, if you don't feel that emotion, fake it. <laughs> now, here was my contention, and this main, I maintain this uh, conviction t- t- today, this morning. Uh, my contention was that you communicate things verbally and non-verbally as well. And whenever you're crying, you're conveying something about how the text is affecting you. And if that's not true, if the text isn't truly affecting you in that way and you're, you're manufacturing tears, you're lying. <laughs> you're deceiving people. You're not being authentic in your communication. Now, I've been at this task of, of preaching on Sunday mornings for all of eight months now. Okay? So I understand I'm not a seasoned veteran. But at the same time, I think even in eight months, I've, I've come to appreciate how sacred the relationship between a person who has the privilege of proclaiming God's word, how, how sacred that relationship is with the people that he has the privilege to proclaim that word to. It is an amazing privilege. It's, it's overwhelming for me at times. And the idea that I would do anything in that relationship that would, that would undermine God's word or undermine the things that God desires to do in that relationship frightens me. Here's my point. Just as you would feel violated if you found out that I was being less than truthful, just as I would feel violated if I found out a, a pastor was fake crying, just as we understand that a pastor has an obligation from God to speak the truth, so each of us have the obligation to speak the truth one to another. Just as God desires his preacher to be one who proclaims the truth in, in his thoughts and his actions and in his words, so God desires each of us in our thoughts, words, and actions with one another to be truthful as well. Last week, we began looking at, at putting off the old man and putting on the new. We talked about what it looked like to be born again. We said that being born again was not just some response to a, a doctrinal understanding of something, but being born again means placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and at that moment of placing your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you become a a new person. You're born again. Born again refers to a a radical transformation that takes place within your soul. At that moment of being born again, the old self is crucified. It no longer exists. And now, the challenge for the believer is to walk like God who we are. It is going to be a lifelong challenge for us to continually put off who we used to be and the practices that are associated with who we used to be and to put on the practices of the new man. And so we looked at what it looks like to to begin to put off the old man and put on the new. And I told you, I, I promised you that this is going to be a very painful process over the next few weeks as we look at the specific examples that Paul gives as to what it looks like to to put off the old and put on the new. Now, I don't know how painful it will be for you this week, 
But I know this past week, it was very painful for me as I thought about what it looks like to put off falsehood and put on the truth. Because, as we talked about last week, the, even though we have this new self, even though we've been recreated, reborn by God himself, we're still in this body of flesh. And until we have a new body, the temptation to sin, the draw to sin is going to be ever-present. That's certainly true with deception and falsehood. And, and what I have found in my own heart is I've been kind of meditating on this idea of, of being truthful in, in every aspect of my being this last week. What I've found is that I am deceitful in ways that I wouldn't have even imagined. And what we're going to do this morning is, first of all, we're going to talk about putting off falsehood, and then we're going to talk about putting on truth. And we're going to see that the different ways in which we're to put off falsehood and how we're to put on truth as well. Let's first talk about how to put, on, uh, put off falsehood, okay? Now, falsehood or lying, I would define this way. A falsehood, lying, is communicating something as true that is not true. And communication can include speech, it can include lack of speech, it can be actions, anything we do to communicate something is true that, that is contrary to truth, that isn't how things really are. God, Scripture says, hates lying. Proverbs 12, 22 says that lying lips are what? An abomination to the Lord. God hates lying, and therefore, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we can put off this practice. As we talk about putting off falsehood, I want to talk about four things, okay? And they all begin with the letter P. I'm going to talk about the person who lies first, then I want to talk about the purpose of lying. What is it that, that motivates a person to lie? So that the purpose of lying, what, it, what is it within them that causes them to, to lie? It's something I've been thinking about, again, a lot this week because I've looked at deceit in, in my life and the life of others. So that the person who lies, the purpose of lying, the practice of lying, what does it look like in practice to, to lie to one another? And then finally, the putting off of lying. What does it look like to begin to put that off, all right? Let's first talk about the person who lies. And what I want to show you here as we talk about the person who lies is that the characteristics of the person who lie are very similar to the characteristics of the unbeliever that we looked at last week as we looked at verses 17 through 24. Let me give you some examples. The old man, the unbeliever, and the liar both live lives of futility. Remember last week at the end of verse 17 it says that unbelievers walk in the futility of their minds. Well, what does Scripture say about the liar? The, li the liar we see in Proverbs 20, 17, we see this about their lifestyle. It says, bread gained by deceit. I don't like reading this verse, by the way. It makes, it makes me hurt. Uh, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Okay, that makes my mouth hurt just saying that verse. The idea is that a person lies and gains this, this piece of bread and, and bites into it, and it seems sweet for a moment, but as they continue to chew, it's like they're chewing on rocks. It doesn't bring satisfaction. The unbeliever lives a futile life, a life that doesn't bring true satisfaction. The liar leads a life that doesn't bring satisfaction. They find it unfulfilling. We also see in Scripture that the unbeliever and the liar both have callous hearts, hearts that are not sensitive to God's word. Remember last week we said in verse 19 that the unbeliever has, is callous. They have a hardened heart at the end of verse 18. Well, what do we see in Scripture about the liar? First Timothy 4.2 says that liars 
consciences are, are seared. They're no longer sensitive to God's calling, okay? So the unbeliever has a conscience that is, is hardened. They have hard hearts. They're not sensitive to what God tells them to do. The liar and the unbeliever both have that kind of hard attitude. And the liar and the unbeliever are both under God's wrath. Remember Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it said that, the, that, that before we became Christians, we were children of wrath. And what does Scripture say about liars? Revelation 21.8. Kids know it all the time. Liars go to hell. That's a, that's a true verse, that the place for liars is the lake of fire. So uh, the unbeliever and the liar both share very similar characteristics, which leads me to conclude that lying is a part of an old man lifestyle. It's a characteristic that an unbeliever walks in. Ben Davidson, our associate minister, and I have this game that we play, kind of a competition. And as we talk about you guys in the church behind your backs, uh, <clears throat> what? Uh, as, we, as we talk about the people in the church, one of our, our goals is to constantly be learning new names. And the goal is to sometimes be talking about a person that, that the other person doesn't know and doesn't know their name, and so we're able to, to, to one-up each other on that. Ben is, is killing me at that, by the way. Uh, he's not here this morning, so I can say that. But whenever we're, we're describing someone to, another, to, to each other, what, what do we focus on in our description? I don't say, hey, you know that guy? He's got the, um, the two eyes and the nose. You know the guy I'm talking about? No, I, I mention distinguishing characteristics of that person. I say, you know, it's the guy that's got the, 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 the really uh, crazy-looking hair, and uh, he yelled at you in your Sunday school class last week. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. Now, here's the deal. We, when we're describing a person, we look at their distinguishing characteristics. As I look at the characteristics of the liar, the person who lies, what I see are the same characteristics of the unbeliever, which leads me to conclude that lying is a characteristic, a quality of the unbeliever. The person who habitually lies is a person who has not been born again. The person who walks in a, lifesty- a lifestyle of deception, deceit, dishonesty does not have the new life within them. I'm not saying that every person who lies is is a Christian, but I'm saying a person whose lifestyle is characterized by deceit, dishonesty, does not have, has not been born again. And a person who lies, I will say this, a person who lies is either not a believer or is a believer who's acting like an unbeliever. Lying is not a characteristic of the new man. It's a characteristic of the old man. That's the person who lies. Now, what about the purpose of lying? Why might a person be motivated to lie? What within us, and again, I've been thinking about this a lot this week, at that moment when we have the opportunity to either say something true or false, what is it that causes us to say something that's not true? I think the answer to this is, is found in the context of Ephesians 4.25, these things that we've, we talked about last week. What, is it, what does it say about the, the heart of the person who lies? It says this in, in verse, again, talking about the characteristics of the unbeliever. They are, they're walking the futility of their mind in verse 17. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that's in them, and it's due to the hardness of their heart. Ultimately, the person who lies has a hard heart. The heart is worshiping something besides God. The hard heart causes them to be alienated from the life, the true life that God offers and as they're alienated from that life that God offers, they walk in darkness, and as they walk in darkness, they practice futile thinking like lying. 
verse 22 that we looked at last week talks about the deceitful desires that are characteristic of the old man. So when a person decides to lie, what has happened is this within their hearts. They've had the opportunity, at least this would be true for the believer, they've had the opportunity to worship God and say, I'm going to value Jesus and the truth more than anything else. Or they've said, you know what, there's something over here that my heart wants more than the truth. There's something that I desire more than I desire Jesus Christ. And it could be a variety of things, but whatever it is, they say, this is something that I value more than I value the truth, and this is what I'm going to worship. That's a characteristic of the old man. So for example, we might value the opinion of other people. And I'm in a conversation with someone, and I want this person to think, uh, I want to minimize my sin in this person's eyes, and so I'm motivated to not tell them the whole story about something because I don't, I don't want to look as bad as I know that I really am. Or I want to exalt myself in their eyes. I, I want them to think that I'm, I'm better or smarter than, than I really am. So I lie. I, I'm worshiping their opinion more than I'm worshiping the truth in Jesus Christ. More than I'm worshiping Jesus Christ is exhibited by being truthful. For example, when I was in high school, I was in an argument with a, my friend, and uh, basically I was trying to argue that I'm a really smart guy, which really you wouldn't think I'd need to argue that long about, right? But it was, it was taking him some convincing. And as we were in this argument, uh, I, I lied to him about being admitted to an Ivy League school. Now, I hadn't even applied to this school, but I said, you know, I, I was admitted to Yale, okay? Yale did accept my application. I, I, don't, I don't even know if that's the exact word. Somehow I insinuated that, all right? Why did I do, what possessed me to say that? Who cares? Well, I was worshiping other people's perception of me. I want, more than I wanted to worship Jesus Christ, more than I valued Jesus Christ, I valued his perception of me. And so I communicated something that wasn't true. We also are sometimes motivated by desiring to, to shape people's opinions of ourselves or, or we want to, to make sure that uh, we avoid the consequences of sin. This is something that, that children do a lot, right? They say, okay, I know that if I tell the truth, I'm going to face this consequence. And even though they're, you know, they may be covered in, in, in chocolate, you ask them, did you, did you eat that cake? No, no, I didn't. What, me? Why would they do that? Because at that moment in time, they say it is more valuable for me to avoid the consequences of my sin than to tell the truth and face the consequences. There's something their heart desires more than it desires Jesus Christ. Think about that in, in all sorts of, of situations, how we work to obtain something through deception because we value it more than Christ. We might value finances more than Christ or money more than Christ. And so we're at that moment we decide to, to be dishonest in our tax returns or be dishonest in our work because we want to obtain something of value more than we desire the person of Jesus Christ. That's the, the purpose of lying, the things that motivate us to lie. Now let's talk a little bit about the, the practice of lying what it, uh, what it looks like. And as I talk about this, um, there may be a question that a lot of you have had as, as I've been talking about truthfulness this morning in line. And this is a question that I think a lot of people have. I, I just want to kind of get it out there, get it out of the way so we stop thinking about it. The question is, when is it okay to lie? How many of you guys have been kind of thinking about that a little bit? Now, what about this situation? You have hard hearts. That's why you're thinking about that. Because we, do, we want to know the exception. Okay. This 
What, what about like uh, jokes? Is it okay to, to have, have jokes on people and, and sometimes you have to deceive people? To pull, is that okay? This last week was April Fool's Day. March 31st, Tuesday night, we're praying as a family and, and my six-year-old has been really stoked about April Fool's Day. He just thinks that's better than Christmas. And as he's pr- we're praying on Tuesday night and he prays this prayer, dear God, thank you that tomorrow's April Fool's Day. Please help no one get hurt. And my wife and I sit up while he's praying, we look at each other like, oh dear, what does he have planned? <laughs> so I go into his room that later that night and I say, hey buddy, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, what are you planning on tomorrow? And he says, well, uh, it's going to be okay, Dad. It's just going to hit them in their heads and they'll be fine. <laughs> and I thought, what is it and who is them? As long as them is not me, I'm okay with this. But it turned out to be, he just wanted to throw some blankets on some people. And then beat them. Uh, when is lying? Okay, there are some situations in Scripture that, de- that seem to describe a deceit as well and, and speak of it, in, 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 uh, if not a favorable light, then at least not a negative light. For example, the Hebrew midwives, or the midwives uh, in, in Egypt, don't, they, they lie to Pharaoh okay, to save the lives of children. Uh, Rahab lies in order to save the lives of these two, two spies. And so there are situations in Scripture where people who fear God practice dishonesty. And uh, people who are in the military or people who are in law enforcement or, or people who sometimes need to, to, are striving to save the life of someone may practice dishonesty. And, and the question is, it, or, or people who are smuggling Bibles, the question is, are these situations, is it possible for lying to be okay in those situations? And I'd say, in some of them, yes. I think that if you're in the government and you're you're uh, involved in a, in a war, there's kind of a mutual distrust, okay? It's okay to deceive the opposing army, right, or a criminal. And I believe that it's possible that some people have forfeited their right to the truth. Now, I'm not going to say that very confidently, but f- so, for example, if, if Canada invades us, okay, and they're going house to house, and they ask you if there's anyone in your basement, and your children are there in your basement, and you lie to the Canadian soldiers, and you say, no, there's no one, I, I don't, you know, I think there's a a, some people have, have, have uh, violated their obligation for you to tell them the truth. Now, I'm not going to say that confidently, but what I will say is this. It's possible to be a person who fears God. This is clear in Scripture. It's possible to be a person who fears God and still, in, at a, on occasion, be dishonest in certain circumstances. Now, here's the deal, though. We're talking about very, very, very rare circumstances. I have never been in a circumstance like this. And in our hard hearts, this is why I was teasing you earlier, in our hard hearts, sometimes we can say, okay, I know I need to tell the truth, but what about if I was in Nazi Germany? Well, you know what? You never have been, okay? Far more productive is for us to focus on the practice of lying and how it plays itself out in our lives every day. Here are some examples that I, I thought of as I thought about types of lying. First of all, it's just the flat-out lie, Okay. You just look at a person and bold-faced, you know you're lying and you do it intentionally and your desire is to deceive them. That's one type of lying. Another type of, of lying might be uh, exaggeration. Okay? You're, you're talking to someone and in order to make yourself look better in their eyes, you tell them something that's partly true, but you exaggerate it. Okay? You're purposefully deceiving them. What you say is not strictly in accordance with the truth. Or maybe you are uh, intentionally just misleading someone person comes up to you and says, uh, hey, um, <coughs> saw that you were uh, out of work yesterday, that, that flu bug has been going around, huh? And you say, yeah, yeah, it has, okay? Now, you're not 
saying, I was sick yesterday, but you're trying to get them to think something about you that, that wasn't true. You're misleading them. Flattery can be a form of dishonesty. You want, to, you want to make another person feel good about themselves so they feel good about you, and in your desire to do that, you're, you're flattering them in your speech. Or maybe you're just kind of ingratiating in your speech. You're uh, not saying things that you truly believe, but if a person starts talking about some sports team that they like, or you're saying you like that sport, you're kind of uh, speaking favorably to that sports team as well, even though that's not how you actually feel. You're ingratiating your speech, not being completely honest. We can also be dishonest as we're careless in our speech. I told uh, Roger, Roger's visiting us, with, visiting us this morning. Uh, Roger goes to Bethany Baptist Church, and I told him I had an illustration about him this morning. Monday, I've been thinking about lying, right? And so I'm trying to be very careful all day Monday in my speech. Excuse me. <coughs> and as Roger and I are talking, he tells me about the, the sermon on Sunday. And he says, you need to listen to it online. And I said, yeah. And then I thought, I don't know for sure if I will. I don't have a very good track record of listening to messages online. So I said, yeah, I might. Excuse me. <coughs> that story just chokes me up, Roger. <coughs> I said, I don't have a very good track record of following through on listening to messages online, so I had to add, I, I might do that. So sometimes we practice lying as we're careless in our speech. That's the practice of lying. The bottom line, I think, is this. Deceit permeates us. We're deceptive in many ways for many reasons. That's the practice of lying. Let's talk about the putting off of lying. The, the putting off of lying in, in several ways. We said, okay, I have a, a tendency toward dishonesty. I know that the person who lies is a person who is either an unbeliever, not born again, or who is living like an unbeliever. I don't want to be motivated in my heart by anything but, but the worship of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I want to put off the practice of lying. What are some things that we do in order to put off the practice of lying? Let me give you several suggestions. One, I think we confess it as sin. We confess it as sin. We are honest with God and we say, look, God, I know that this is, this is sin. And even the small areas of deception in my life, I don't desire those to be true in me. I'm not going to dismiss it. I'm not saying, well, this is just a white lie. This is just a sermon illustration. I'm going to say, God, this is dishonesty. And please deal with it in my heart. That's one way we begin to put off line. We also put off line as we are careful not to immerse ourselves in, in lies of our culture. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, there's not a huge distinction between speaking lying and doctrinal uh, lies. and all. Scripture lumps all of deception together. And so as we immerse ourselves in, in, in television shows and music and, and all sorts of things that, that preach a false gospel or a false lifestyle, we're immersing ourselves in deception. To begin to put off lies, we not only confess lies, we also put off things in our life that are, that are causing us to be immersed in untruth. We also, I believe, need to confess, confess lies to one another and ask forgiveness for people. A couple years ago, I was very convicted about that story I told you earlier where I was 
communicating to my friend that I had been accepted into an Ivy League school. So I just, I called him on the phone. I said, you know what? A couple years ago, we were having, you know, when I was in high school, we were having this conversation about, about schools. And I just, I said, I don't know why I did this, but I lied to you about it. Will you please forgive me for that, for that, that, uh, that lie that I told you? And he said, absolutely. I knew you didn't anyway. No, he didn't really say we put off lying as we ask God to forgive us, as we confess lies to one another. I think we also uh, put off lying as we identify those things that are causing us to lie. You know, if we look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm constantly deceiving people when it comes to my children. I value how other people see me as a parent, and I'm constantly being deceptive as I, as I talk about my kids. We begin to look at those things. What are those things in our hearts that are motivating us to lie? What are we worshiping more than Jesus Christ? And we ask God, to cause us to, to humble us and to cause us not to value those things more than Jesus Christ. That's the, the putting off of line. Now let's talk about the putting on of truth. The putting on of truth. And we'll talk about those four Ps as we talk about the putting on of truth as well. The, the person who tells the truth, the purpose of truthfulness, what motivates us to tell the truth, the practice of truthfulness, and the putting on of truth as well. Well, who is the person who tells the truth? Turn over to John chapter 8, the Gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, very inter interesting interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. He's had some success in his ministry. Some people have responded to Jesus in verse 30 of John chapter 8, it says that many believed in him. We're going to see that that is not a, a true belief. It's merely a scent to his message. Jesus says this to the Jews who believed him in verse 31. <clears throat> if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And listen to this. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, we're the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He goes on and he's talking to them says this in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? <clears throat> it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. I think we see a very important spiritual principle here. For a person to be able to understand the truth in its fullest sense, they must be born again. Jesus says in verse 36 again, if the son sets you free, <clears throat> you'll be free indeed. A person, who's the person who tells the truth? The person who tells the truth is the one who has been freed by the son of God and has the ability to understand, comprehend, and practice truth. 
There's a story you may have heard before of Plato's allegory of the cave. In Plato's allegory of the cave, there are a group of prisoners who for their whole life have been imprisoned in this cave, and their, their bodies have been completely immobile. They've only been able to see the, the back wall of this cave. And as, they have been, uh, as they've grown up their whole lives, all they've been able to see is the back wall of this cave. All they have seen there are shadows that play across this, this, this uh, cave wall. Plato says, imagine, imagine if a, a prisoner was able to escape from that cave and was able to go out and experience the real world and be able to see the, the true substance of things instead of just the shadows. He says, now imagine that person was able to, to go back was able to talk to the other prisoners about what they had seen. He says the other prisoners would, would say that they're crazy because they haven't been freed themselves. All they can understand are the shadows of things. I believe there's a spiritual application for that as well. Here we see Jesus say for a person to truly understand, their, the, for a person to truly understand the truth, they must be freed. The person who tells the truth is a person who's been born again who has the ability to comprehend and walk in the truth. The person who has the ability to speak the truth is a person who is a believer. That's the person who tells the truth. Now let's look at the, the uh, purpose of truthfulness. The purpose of truthfulness. Here I believe that we're motivated by our new nature. God has given us this new nature in Jesus Christ and, and now we're motivated by that new nature to walk in truth. Truth permeates the, the life of the believer. Every aspect of the believer is now to be characterized by truthfulness. Think about some different passages in Scripture that speak to truth and how the believer is to be immersed in truth. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer and says to sanctify them in truth. Thy, thy word is truth. <clears throat> Our lives are to be characterized by doctrinal truth. 2 Timothy 3, 7 says that we're to walk in the knowledge of the truth. Excuse me for just a second. You guys didn't have lunch plans this afternoon, right? It's okay if we... <clears throat> Should do a two-parter, you know, maybe like sing a song and then come back here. We can get through it. <clears throat> okay. The purpose of truthfulness, what motivates a person to be truthful? We've been given this new nature by God that desires truth. We've received the gospel of truth. Ephesians 1.13 talks about this. We are now to walk in doctrinal truth. I've talked about that already. We're to ha we have the spirit of truth residing in us. John 14, uh, 17 tells us that. And there's to be a close relationship between truth and our actions and speech. 1 John 1, 6 says this. <clears throat> if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not possess the truth. There's this new relationship that we have with the truth. And this is what I want to get across here. A truth is not just our speech. A person who just tells the truth is not necessarily a truthful person. But a person is a truthful person when truth permeates every aspect of who they are. Their conduct, their thoughts, their speech, their actions. The problem is, the world is like a, a giant Disney world, full of illusions and 
and fantasy. When I was in, I believe, uh, fifth or sixth grade, I, I went to Epcot Center. We went to Disney World, and Epcot Center was one of the places we went. And we went on this, this uh, exhibit called The Living Seas. And you walk into this exhibit, The Living Seas exhibit, and the, 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 the doors open, and you get into what they call a, <coughs> a hydrolator. It's supposed to be like an elevator. And the uh, hydrolator closes, and it shakes, and you go down to this <coughs> underground cavern. And as you go into the underground cavern, it shows you all the different sea exhibits. And then you get into another hydrolator, and it takes you to the surface. <coughs> well, uh, I, as I got back on the hydrolator leaving the exhibit, I realized that I'd forgot my, my favorite hat back on the exhibit. And so I, I said, well, hold on just a second. We're, we're on our way up. We're, we're, we're going up to the surface. And my, uh, my grandmother was taking us. She got off the elevator. I said, well, I'm, I'm just going to stay on here, go back, and, and pick up my hat. She said, okay. So the uh, hydrolator doors shut. And immediately, the other doors opened. And I realized we hadn't gone underground at all. It was all just this big sham. There wasn't anything real that was even taking place here. The world lives in a, it's like a giant Walt Disney World exhibit, okay? There is truth to be understood, but it can only be understood and appraised by the believer. The believer's life is to be permeated with truth, and the purpose of truthfulness is to glorify God as we live in accordance with our new nature. Let's talk quickly here about the practice of truthfulness. What does it look like? <clears throat> what does truth look like in, in practice? I think it means that we're transparent. Our speech is not to be characterized by a desire to glorify ourselves, but to be open and transparent with others. We tell the, <clears throat> the whole story. We're willing to speak in tough circumstances. We seek the, the best for others as we communicate. We're occasionally going to offend people as we speak the truth, as we practice truth. We're going to think through the commitments we make. We're going to be very careful as we talk to other people about what we're encouraging them with and what, what we're saying. We're, as we talk with our kids, we're going to be careful not to, to tell them that we're going to do things that we, we wouldn't do. We're very careful as we, as we think through what we say to other people. <clears throat> How do we put on truthfulness? Last thing here. How do we put on truthfulness? Consider again what, what verse, verses 20 through 24 say of Ephesians 4. Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard, him, heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We put on truth as we immerse ourselves in the person of Christ. We have a passion for the truth in all its forms. We immerse ourselves in, in Christ and in his word and, and in church and in learning about him. We, as we put on truthfulness, we think about the words that we're going to say. We think through the, the aspects of, of what we're going to say to other people. We realize that we're going to have to give an account for every idle word that we speak and we put on truth as we humble ourselves in relationship to God. The person who's putting on truthfulness realizes that first, they must be a believer. That's the person who tells the truth. A person becomes a believer by abandoning the lie, abandoning the lie that happiness can be achieved from anything else other than faith in Christ. They 
The person who tells the truth has been born again as they place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. The person who tells the truth and puts on truth is motivated by a desire to now walk in truth, to glorify Jesus Christ. They practice truth. They practice truth as they begin to have truth permeate every aspect of their being, their thoughts, their words, their actions, and they put on truthfulness as they beseech God to grant them that ability to tell the truth. We desire our pastors to be truthful. Here in Ephesians 4.25, it says all of us are to be truthful, speaking the truth one to another. We want to experience reality in, in the world as it truly is. This can only be done. This can only be done through the new life that's offered by God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the new life you offer us. And Father, we pray that we would walk in, in truth and in honesty, that we would put off falsehood and, and put on truth. Give us the, the grace and the strength to do this according to your spirit. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.